And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show, in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And we would love to have you weigh in on that subject, either as a guest or to ask us a travel question. The best way to get in touch with me is email, fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. But you know what? We'd love to be in contact with you throughout the week. If you have travel questions, you will find the answers at fromers.com. That's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. And you'll have a heck of a lot of fun following us on social media. We have really great uh, things going on on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Just look for the word Fromers. Now, part of my job is to travel. Travel. And Pauline, where is it that you have recently been? I recently went to the Dominican Republic. And you're hearing my voice. I came back. All was safe. All was fine. There's a lot of controversy about that. Some people still regard the Dominican Republic as an unsafe destination. And I blame the media, to be honest with you. They did a good job of floating uh, conspiracy theories and uh, a lot of a lot of 12 people sadly died in the Dominican Republic 12 American visitors out of 2.5 million that is actually a lower percentage than die normally but because some of the deaths seemed odd our FBI took the time to do a toxicology report to see whether or not they could uh, back up what local authorities were saying. And they found nothing. They said that these people died of heart attacks, of an embolism. I mean, they, they died of totally natural causes. There was no poisoned alcohol. And as a, as a person who just drank several pina coladas in the Dominican Republic, I, I was absolutely fine. There was nothing going wrong. Um, so it, it was this big, you know, kerfuffle over nothing. And now that the Dominican Republic has been cleared by the FBI, it's kind of breaking my heart that nobody is reporting on that. Uh, 10,000 people were thrown out of their jobs and several resorts had to close. So what does that mean? So that, that means that when you go to the Dominican Republic right now, it's starting to come back. So you're not going to go to a resort that's like a ghost town. When I was there, the resorts were between 60% and 70% full. Now, that's something that gets people in the and DR upset. a tremendous opportunity to those of us who is. are looking for an uncrowded destination. It's wonderful. It means that when you're in the restaurant, you're not alone in the restaurant, but you don't have to wait a millisecond to get a table. It means you don't have to camp out to get a good lounger next to the pool. It means if you want to take a surfing lesson, you get one right away. Uh, but it doesn't feel empty, and they have their full programs going. And I visited some of the most 
glamorous, gorgeous hotels I've ever seen uh, that right now, you know, these are five-star places that are going to be costing two-star amounts. Uh, I went to a place called The Sanctuary. The owner of the owner of it, his wife, is an artist. And so there are fine works of art everywhere, as well as her art pieces. And she's obsessed with, you know, that painting by Velasquez, Las Meninas, of the small princesses with the strange haircuts? I know it very well. Yeah. Everywhere you go, there is topiary. There are bushes that are cut to look like Las Meninas. <laughs> and there's, there, you see their, 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 uh, uh, silhouettes on the walls and it sounds weird but it looks beautiful and they have it's such a glamorous place i went and looked at a suite i didn't get to stay in it in this two-bedroom suite there were three indoor swimming pools in a suite indoors as well as an outdoor one and a lot of the rooms there also have swim up pools in front of the rooms so that was glamorous i went to casa de campo which is, I think, perhaps should have the world record for the biggest resort. If you're going to a resort and you're worried about running out of things to do, you don't have to worry about that at Casa de Campo. We got there, and the woman who was showing us around said, oh, I'm going to take you to this part of the resort. It's just a 20-minute drive away. (laughs) So we got into a car and drove 20 minutes This was a resort that was started by a Paramount Pictures executive because he wanted to build a golf course for his friends to go to. And then he built a little hotel and then he built some bungalows around it. And then, unfortunately, he died of a heart attack unexpectedly. And Paramount Pictures thought to themselves, why the heck do we have a, a resort in the Caribbean? We don't run resorts. We we make movies. So they sold the resort to uh, a, a group of investors who have made it even more glamorous. It has two of the best golf courses in the, in the Caribbean. It has this incredible shooting range with clay pigeons. It has a marina where there's also a shipyard. So you bring your multi-million dollar boat to the marina and it has a problem. You could take it to the shipyard, which oh, is there. Man. They even have this incredibly beautiful faux medieval European village, which has a consecrated Catholic church for weddings. It has this 5,000 seat amphitheater where people like, uh, uh, J-Lo have performed and, uh, and, uh, other big artists. Um, it has these, and it even has an art university. They have a university program there. You do two years in the Dominican Republic studying sculpture and design, and then you go to Parsons in New York City and get a degree. And so when you're wandering around this faux Italian village, you're seeing art students. There's a little gallery that shows their work, but often I saw one out with his easel painting, you know, painting the vista. Uh, of course, there's also great beaches, but it, it was really a fascinating well, place to visit. Bear a name. It's called Casa de Campo. Casa de Campo. It's, it's one of the most uh, famous resorts oh, in yes, the Caribbean. They give it. every guest a you get a little golf cart to drive around in because it's so big you can't walk everywhere so everybody gets not just a room but a golf cart um so that was crazy i went to i stayed in a beautiful place uh uh oh my goodness what was it called Called experience so 
I'm blanking on the name of where I stayed. Oh, my goodness. But it was lovely. And the people there were so happy to see us. And the interesting thing about the Dominican Republic is it's a volcanic island, like so many in the Caribbean are. But it has the tallest mountains in the Caribbean and also lots of arable lands. And so during World War II... At that point, they had a terrible dictator named Trujillo. Uh, he was in, in power for a good 20 years until he was assassinated. And he made everybody's lives miserable for those 20 years until 1961, I think it was. But to try and clear his name, when every other country was not allowing Jewish refugees in from Germany during World War II, Trujillo let them in. And so during the war, there was this massive Jewish community. And bizarrely, the Jews from Germany started cattle ranching in the Dominican Republic. And they brought in all of this cattle. And there's still these great cattle ranches. And they also started farming. And so unlike other uh, Caribbean islands, 85% of what you eat there is from the island itself. You get really good beef and you get really good produce. They grow apples, they grow strawberries, they grow pineapples and coconuts, of course. Absolutely remarkable. And it's a fascinating country. Like so much of the Caribbean, it was, it first had native, uh, uh, Native Americans, Native Caribbeans, I should say. You might call them Indians. Uh, and then the Spanish came, decimated that population, also raped a lot of women. So there were a lot of mixed Spanish native children and because they decimated the population they had to bring in slaves from Africa and so one person said to me there are these famous dolls that are sold in all the gift shops none of them have faces you know why that is because this person who was Dominican said to me no no two Dominicans look alike because our backgrounds are so mixed that you have you have people who have very dark skin, very light skin. They might be siblings in the same family. There are so many different uh, ethnic backgrounds to these people. It's it's absolutely fascinating, and just lovely welcoming people. I visited some farms there where I saw coconut oil being made over the fire. They use coconut oil for everything. They use it for constipation. They use it to keep off bugs. They put it on their teeth because they think it it gets rid of plaque. (laughs) It was just a, it's a, it's a real culture. Sometimes we forget that. You know, everybody goes to the Dominican Republic for sun and sand and they have that in abundance. Some of the most beautiful beaches anywhere in the world. But, there's also a really, really fascinating culture if you leave the resorts and go out to see it, as I did. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but in our baseball league, the most non-American players are for the, from the Dominican Republic. And so you go to these small towns, they all have baseball diamonds, and everybody's obsessed with baseball. So, so much, so much to discover there as well as great prices right now. I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye for this segment, but there's more of the travel show coming, so don't turn that dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, and I feel like saying aloha because we have Jeannie Cooper on the line. We're proud to say that she writes Fromer's Easy Guide to Maui, Fromer's Maui Day by Day, as well as several chapters in the bigger Fromer's Hawaii book. Aloha, Jean. Jeannie. Aloha. I think it's always a great time to say aloha here in Hawaii. (laughs) And now is an even better time than has been in years past to fly to Hawaii because there's finally more competition, right? That's correct. Southwest Airlines made a huge push in 2019 and is continuing actually through 2020 to add more flights both from the mainland and inner island service. And it's having a huge impact on uh, airfares, um, particularly for its main competitors, Alaska and Hawaiian Airlines. Jeannie, we constantly hear word of Southwest Airlines charging as little as $49 one way. How, how, how frequently are those miracle fares encountered? I think those are called accident fares because I don't <laughs> think they ever could charge 49 to well, Hawaii. <laughs> Well, actually, would you take 99 each way? I think wow. that's pretty amazing for a five-and-a-half-hour flight. That's incredible. Coast. And our one-way inter-island flights are as low as $39, which when you consider the fact that also includes, uh, sorry, includes two free checked bags, uh, that's amazing. That's been a really uh, big benefit to uh, local travelers here, but it's something that visitors can take advantage of for some island hopping while they're here. Right. That's so, fascinating. So is it correct to say that now is the best time in years to go to Hawaii? I think it really is, and in part because there's just so many uh, you know, new things in terms of what people can see, uh, in terms of national parks. Uh, there's been a lot of investment in infrastructure, um, the Kauai North Shore has reopened after a long closure. Due to mudslides, right? The park is beautiful. That's correct. Yeah. There were serious landslides on the highway leading there and also on the Nepali Coast Trail. And that's all now open for business and uh, beautiful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you were talking about some new things. So let's let's go into that. What are some new things that old hands to Hawaii will be excited to discover? Well, I think anyone who has an interest in volcanoes has to make a trip to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park here on the Big Island. It was completely transformed by eruptions in 2018. The crater is massively expanded. Um, Some trails that have been closed for many years have reopened. And it's just a, a beautiful time to visit with very clear air, no problems with fog, the volcanic smog people might have heard about. Right, yeah. There's a new black sand beach that the eruption uh, created with thermal ponds uh, in the Puna district. And also, just going back to Oahu, the, many people might have heard that the Arizona Memorial was uh, closed for quite some time in 2019, but that's reopened. Oh, too. good. And. It's just such a special place uh, to visit, and there's so many other sites there that people might not realize. It's not just when you go to Pearl Harbor. It's not just the Arizona Memorial. Right. There's the Missouri has uh, opened some new sections of that, of that battleship. Hmm. Um, you, you've got the Pacific Aviation Museum, which has expanded uh, its exhibitions, the Bofin submarine. Um, there's just, I think, more to do on each island that people probably plan for, which is great. 
excuse for having a repeat visit. Yeah, well, just before we leave Pearl Harbor, I was just at the World War II Museum in New Orleans, and you forget the impact of that war. If somebody really wanted to do that site justice, how many hours would they have to spend at Pearl Harbor, would you say? A full day. A full day. A full day at the least. And it's it's really worth it. And there are many um, in it, relatively inexpensive uh, tour packages that will secure your free passes for you so you don't have to wait in line, mm. but then also include admission to some of the attractions that I mentioned. And it, there's many places to have lunch, so it's not a problem uh, to spend a full day there and enjoy uh, the different uh, vistas, as well as the very poignant and moving history right. um, that you know is reflected on those uh, grounds. Absolutely, we are speaking with Jeannie Cooper. She is the author of several Fromer guides, and they're terrific, if I do say so myself. They're um, amazing guides: Fromer's Hawaii, Fromer's Easy Guide to Maui, Fromer's Maui Day by Day. Uh, when people think Hawaii, obviously they think swaying palm trees, they think golden sands, they also think luau's. Where is, if somebody is really interested in experiencing Hawaiian culture, it doesn't have to begin and end at the luau anymore, right? That's correct. You'd be surprised, I think, at the number of hotels, even modest ones, uh, that have some cultural programs or can connect you with cultural practitioners. Um, that really want to share the most authentic aspects of their culture, from poi pounding to throw net fishing uh, to musical implement making. It's really gone beyond how to play the ukulele or string a flower lay. Um, a number of resorts on the beach uh, on Maui and the Big Island offer complimentary outrigger canoe rides mm. to their guests wow. so they can experience how Hawaiians arrived in these uh, islands, learn the chants and traditional names uh, for the paddling terms, and really get a sense, I think, of uh, Hawaiian culture that's very different from what you might have seen even as recently as the 90s. Really? Wow. We are speaking very briefly with Jeannie Cooper, who's the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to Hawaii, uh, Maui, Fromer's Hawaii, and Fromer's Maui Day by Day. Um, can children uh, take part in these Hawaiian classes? Is, are they, when they do the, the, the net fishing and the outrigger oh, canoes, absolutely. is that family friendly? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Hawaii is nothing if not family friendly. Um, we've probably all heard the term that ohana means family and family means no one gets left behind. That's true on outrigger canoe uh, rides, too. And there's so many great things for families to do, um, whether it's uh, biking the coastal uh, bike path on Kauai that's very family friendly or taking the ferry to Lanai from Lahaina, which I call a free whale-watching trip <laughs> in season, January through April. Isn't, aren't, the, um, aren't the waters a little choppy there, though? Oh, not between Maui and Lanai. Oh, okay. Uh, typically, you'd only have that on a, on a big storm day. But hmm. often, it's quite glassy, and that's where you see dolphins uh, uh, in the wake of the ferry or sometimes leading it. Wow. And often... Like I said, in season, the ferry might have to stop because there could be a whale and a mother whale and her calf, uh, uh, and they need to keep 100 meters back. Uh, how great. Well, we have to stop right now. We have to take a quick break, but don't turn that dial. We're going to talk more about Hawaii with Jeannie Cooper after these messages.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. On the air with us, we have Jeannie Cooper, who is the author of Fromer's Hawaii, as well as Fromer's Maui Day by Day and Fromer's Easy Guide to Maui. And we're going to talk about an, uh, a place that's not in those titles directly, but Kauai. There's been some changes in how the transportation there works, correct? Yes. If you're going to the North Shore, which I recommend everyone do, it's so beautiful, um, from the town of Hanalei to the end of the road at Ka Beach, where the Nepali coast begins, um, there's a new shuttle system, and I highly recommend people uh, taking that. Um, you need to purchase a pass in advance, but you can hop on, hop off, and you can buy a ticket that guarantees you entry into that state park at the end of the road. Um, that will also allow you to, like I said, hike for a bit on the Kalalau Trail, enjoy time at Ka Beach. Otherwise, there is no um, free parking or unreserved parking at huh? the end of the road. You you have to buy a pass either to park or you need to buy a shuttle ticket, which will give you uh, entry to that park. That that's, is something that's uh, new. Yeah, that, and that's fascinating because, uh, you know, the thing about Hawaii that I don't like, and I like Hawaii very much, but except for the island of Oahu, you really need to have a car in most places. But at least on Kauai now, this kind of gives you an option to do something else for some of the time, right? It's true. You can even buy a a pass that's good for a week and use it to, if you're staying on the North Shore between Princeville, again, and the end of the road, it would be very convenient. You would only need to arrange a shuttle to your uh, B&B or resort. And then you could just enjoy this because it, it runs all day and uh, it's it's got great access to some of the main attractions on the North Shore. We're speaking with Jeannie Cooper. She is the author of Fromer's Hawaii, Fromer's Maui Day by Day, and Fromer's Easy Guide to Maui. We talked a little bit at the beginning about how much airfares to Hawaii have dropped and between the islands. And I'm often asked... How do I put together a multi-island vacation in Hawaii? What, what's your, the basic advice for that? And how do people decide which island to go to? Because they're so different one to the next. I think that's a great point. It really depends. What type of vacation do you want? Is it going to be more about adventure and hiking? You really want to go to the big island of Hawaii and also Kauai to get that great outdoor experience. Um, is it going to be more about uh, beaches and uh, drives through scenic areas? Well, then, again, probably Maui would be a great choice for you, and uh, Kauai as well. But uh, all trips should really probably start in Honolulu because that's going to give you your best chance for island hopping later. Allow yourself to fly from the mainland, enjoy the hustle and bustle of Waikiki and beautiful views of Diamond Head, take a trip up to the North Shore, and then uh, take one of the many now inter-island flights to Maui, Kauai, or the big island of uh, Hawaii. Spend a couple days there, for sure. And if you come to the big island, or even Kauai, there is at least once a day, sometimes more service to another island that is not Oahu. So hmm. it's possible to do a triangle wow. will, uh, very easily. Now, once you start 
doing four islands, I'm going to say you do really need at least two weeks or more because otherwise you're just shortchanging yourself yeah. on the beauty of each of those islands. But it can be done, island hopping. Right. And I guess if you want to go for a very short time just to a third island, that would be Molokai or Lanai. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And right now, um, the the trail uh, down to Kalapapa, the historic leper colony on Molokai, that is the reason most people visit. Unfortunately, that is still close to landslides. So flying in makes the most sense. Anyway, Mm. you'd fly into the main airport of Ho'olehua and you'd take a 15-minute plane ride down to Kalapapa Peninsula. It's a very actually (laughs) time-effective, cost-effective, time-effective way of seeing the peninsula. And then simply uh, flying back. So very easy to do on a one-day itinerary. And just to give people, but I have to say, taking that mule ride down what are the tallest sea cliffs in the world was scarier than any amusement park ride I've ever been on and quite like a thrilling adventure. And then you get to this spit of land. Part of it was used for one of the Jurassic Park movies because it really does look like dinosaurs are going to charge out any minute. It's this primordial looking jungle with these crashing waves. And I loved Bolakai. I don't think enough people go there. It's true. It's a little bit harder to go without the ferry service they used to have from Maui and as many uh, direct inner island flights. But it is well worth making that visit and flying in from uh, Honolulu or uh, Maui if you can. It's also hard to go to Molokai because they no longer have hotels, right? It's all rentals. <laughs> there is one hotel oh, built to okay. Hotel Molokai outside of Kaunakakai, but I think it's got about 50 rooms. So you do need to plan in advance or definitely be prepared to stay um, at an Airbnb or VRBO yeah. uh, place there. Um, but it uh, still rewards that visitor who likes that peaceful, easy feeling. Not a lot going on, but certainly a lot of beauty uh, to see some of the uh, best waters for uh, snorkeling once you get beyond the reef and uh, wonderful, uh, you know, uh, views of the green, lush green mountains. That oh, are yeah. Really I, untouched it's the only place in Hawaii I've been where I've been all alone on a beach. You know, <laughs> I felt like I had discovered the island. And when I went into a grocery store, people were genuinely interested in talking to me and finding out where I was from because it's not as inundated with tourists as other islands. But as you said, there's that's, less going that's on. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, we have been speaking with Jeannie Cooper. She is the author of several Fromer guides, including Fromer's Hawaii, Fromer's Day by Day Maui, Fromer's Maui, Easy Guide to Maui, and, and we hope you'll pick them up. We hope you can hear from this conversation what a true expert Jeannie is and how passionate she is about all this. Thank you so much, Jeannie. We appreciate your time. Mahalo and aloha. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Pamela Fiore, who is the author of a gorgeous new coffee table book called Holiday 
devoted to the former magazine of that name. Thank you so much for appearing on the travel show, uh, Pamela. A pleasure, Pauline. So, uh, for those of our readers who may not remember Holiday, since it did go out of business quite some time ago, tell us why you felt uh, it deserved a book of this. It's a big book. It's a gorgeous book. Why did Holiday deserve a book at this stage? Well, uh, it is the first real travel magazine in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started right after World War II. It was published by uh, the same company that published Saturday Evening Post and Ladies Home Journal, both of which were mass magazines, and Curtis Publishing, uh, which was based then in Philadelphia, decided to uh, take a chance mm-hmm. and uh, to bank on the idea that after all of these thousands of people, soldiers and others, coming back from World War II were uh, in America, that they would um, not only have their new house and their new car and be on the GI Bill, but eventually they would start to become curious about what was beyond their backyard. Well, it was the start of the jet age. I yes. mean, it finally uh, travel was also affordable. So, Well, that- the jet age actually started in the late 50s, hmm. but uh, so there were a lot of prop planes, but most people were traveling by Greyhound bus, they were traveling by family car, they were taking trains, and they were on uh, transatlantic ships. Right. And the amazing thing about Holiday was not only was it the first travel magazine, but they had quite the cast of of contributors, uh, Faulkner and Robert Kappa, the photographer, and, uh, uh, oh, my God, Jack Kerouac. and Uh, John O'Hara, Bud Schulberg, uh, E.B. White, who wrote one of the most famous pieces for holiday called here is new york which was then turned into a book and i did available i didn't know that was originally for holiday and the the wonderful thing is well you you hear in the book the book starts with pamela who's my guest right now we're speaking with pamela fiore the author of a beautiful new coffee table book called holiday and we learn about how you came to work there Yes, I came well after the magazine started in the late 1960s, in 1968 to be exact, but it couldn't have been a worse time uh, in terms of magazines in America, uh, at least the big glossy ones, and what was going on in the country at that time. So uh, it was it was tough going. Uh, Curtis was in trouble. Uh, the, their magazines were in trouble, and many other magazines like Life and Look and Collier's were all struggling because well, they were of com- that tiny little thing called television. Yeah, yeah, they had to compete for advertising with that, and that's that was very tough. And so Holiday, even though it had this incredible pedigree and this incredible uh, roster of, of writers and photographers and Artists like uh, Hirschfeld, the, the the famous cartoonist who did Broadway shows, he he or f- paintings of them, cartoons of them. He well, also he contributed. Did was he went on a round the world trip with the humorous S. J. Perlman. They were pals, and uh, they wrote a series for 
holiday in the late 1940s uh, under the aegis of Ted Patrick, who was then the editor-in-chief. And uh, that, too, became uh, a book. It was very funny. It was very antic. Um, and uh, it was one of the things that made Holiday such an outstanding publication because they they dared to go where no one else had gone. Well, one of the really lovely parts of the book is reading up and seeing what our mindsets were regarding travel and regarding s- certain destinations in the 50s, in the 60s. How did you decide what to include in the book and what to leave out? That must have been a huge task. Well, what I left out could be a follow-up or many follow-ups because there are uh, so many images and so many articles that we just didn't have room for. Right. But this uh, this was a first go at it, and uh, I must say I'm very, very pleased. We had to make very tough choices, and there were no archives hmm. for Holiday, amazingly. So what I was able to get, I, I did by going to eBay and to going to a couple of other sources, but eBay most of all. So I have a dining room filled with magazines starting from the first one in 1946 all the way to the final one when when it was still owned by, by Curtis. Well, it's a wonderful book. Once again, we've been speaking with Pamela Fiore, who has a beautiful new coffee table book out published by Rizzoli called Holiday. Thank you, Pamela, for appearing on The Travel Show. You are so welcome. I hope your readers and your listeners enjoy seeing the book. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, and I started this hour talking about the Dominican Republic. I just came back. I'm safe. I'm sound. You're hearing my voice. I'm alive. It was all great. The FBI, as we said at the beginning of the show, gave them a clean bill of health. They said that the 12 mysterious deaths out of the 2.5 million Americans who went there were all based on natural causes. So why do you go to the Dominican Republic? Because the prices are so low now, because people are still nervous about going. So if you want a great deal, you go. You go if you're a fisherman. The Dominican Republic is actually in between the Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. It's one side of the island is one and one side of the island is the other. And so you get very different types of fish, making this one of the great fishing destinations in the world. You go there if you're a scuba diver who wants to do something good with their time because there's a foundation in the DR that is at the forefront of trying to save our coral reefs and coral reefs throughout the Caribbean. And they are asking volunteer scuba divers to go down and you cut off a bit of a diseased reef and then you take it to a place where the water is better and replant it. And then when it grows a bit, they're creating artificial reefs taken from problematic reefs and this could be something that could be done across the Caribbean. And it's so important because the coral reefs aren't just important for scuba diving and for seeing beautiful fish. They are what support 
the smallest of all the fish species. And without those, we could lose our entire fish stock. I mean, the, the next generation, with the way coral reefs are dying worldwide, we have to be proactive about saving them if we want to have seafood in the future, if we want to have fish, never mind what we're, what's feeding us. And so I was really impressed that there is this foundation which is working with uh, some major universities in the United States and is taking volunteers. So that's a very cool thing to do while you're in the DR. Um, you know, you go to your gorgeous all-inclusive resort, you have your five meals that day, and then, <laughs> and then you go scuba diving. Um, but really, uh, to be serious, he, the DR got a, a bad rap for no good reason. There were some deaths that people thought were mysterious. They got a crazy amount of publicity when you consider that 2.5 million people had come and gone without any problems. And then our own FBI said that there's no need to be worried about going to the DR. They did extensive toxicology reports. You know, everybody had been guessing that people had gotten bad alcohol because you get a lot of alcohol at at all-inclusives. That's one of the reasons people sometimes go to them, get a lot of free alcohol. But it turned out these these people, and every death is sad. I don't want to, you know, minimize their deaths, but these people died of natural causes. So if you're looking for a great value destination in the sun, you can't do better than Dominican Republic. I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye for this hour to anybody who's traveling. Dad? A hearty bon voyage.